Welcome. You're about to be ushered past the velvet rope and into a world of hyper-effective salesmanship that's understood and used only by the world's most notoriously rich and successful marketers. We're taking a journey deep inside the human brain, past the surface clutter, and into the psychological insights to answer the one crucial question, what makes people buy? I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, along with the most ripped off and respected copywriter alive, John Carlton, and this is Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. Hey, welcome to Psych Insights from Modern Marketers. It's Kevin Rogers here, along with my great friend, my mentor, and my partner, John Carlton. How you doing, John? Pretty good. Pretty good. Looking forward to this talk. Me too. This is a hot topic uh, universally and in a very evergreen sense. Uh, we're all talking all about confidence today. And you know, <clears throat> wh- what is it? How do you get it if you don't have it? Uh, why do certain people seem to exude it? very naturally where others struggle and, you know, hire therapists to deal with, you know, <laughs> just this issue and, and does it actually equal money? What do you do if you just don't feel confident? Can you still make it as an entrepreneur? Right. Uh, so, so John, you know, this is an issue we, we've talked quite a bit about you and I both coach uh, freelancers and, and marketers. Yeah. And this is a, yeah. this is always a big topic. It is. And it's, it's one that, uh, I could see doing an entire talk on at, at a seminar just about confidence. Um, so to begin, I want to start with something that uh, is, is going to be known by a number of people, but unknown by a significant number of copywriters and, and marketers out there who all should know about this. And it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And we will spell it out in the uh, in the thing you can you can uh, uh, look it up in Wikipedia or look it up uh, look up the original papers and stuff. These are Dunning and Kruger were a couple of uh, of uh, research shrink geeks at some <clears throat> I, th- I think it was an Ivy League college and they started doing some tests and the tests they did bore a lot of fruit, uh, especially for people in marketing and business and people trying to get anything done. And what they did is they tested people. Before they went in to take a test, they asked them how confident they were they were going to do in the test. Then after the test, they asked them how confident they were that they did well on the test. Mm. And what they found was this very interesting <clears throat> breakdown. I won't go into the details of everything they found, but the two most important discoveries they had were that very competent people who went in and aced the tests would say, before the test, they would say things like, I don't know, I hope I do well. I think I've, I've, I'm prepared. I'm not sure. They go in, they take the test, they'd ace it, they'd come out, and they'd be asked before they knew the results how they think they did. And they said, I don't know, I hope I did pretty good. Hmm. You know, I, I, I don't know, I missed a few. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how well I did. And <laughs> then there was this huge group of people, and this is where it gets really interesting, <clears throat> a huge group of people who boasted that they were going to ace the test before they walked in, that they said, I'm very confident I can handle this test. I'm very good at test taking. Uh, I don't get nervous. I understand this stuff. I'm, I'm really good at, at, uh, any, at new situations like this, you know, and handling this stuff. They go in, and then before they know the results of the test, 
when they're asked how they think they did, they, they'll say, I aced it. It was, it was great. I did really, really well, just like I thought it would. And these are the people who completely botched the test up as, as thoroughly as possible. They got very low scores, and they, didn't, they clearly were unclear on the concept. Mm. So the, when you hear marketers or writers talk about the Dunning-Kruger effect, we're mostly talking about the people in our lives who will boast, who will give, give off vibes of high confidence, and then go, go off and screw things up beyond repair. And then when called on it, we'll say, it wasn't my fault. It was obviously somebody else's fault. They will spin. When, when, and these, these guys who failed the test, when confronted with the fact they failed it, came up with excuses or came up with reasons or spin why it wasn't important or why it wasn't their fault or, or mm. things like this. I first learned about this Dunning-Kruger effect, which has everything to do with confidence and how it's expressed and how it's played out in the real world. When I was in bands, my, my major confusion when I, in high school, when I first started putting bands together to play at high school dances and stuff before I could play in bars, was some of the best players that I knew the guys who were very competent at guitar never wanted to get on stage. They had all this other stuff going on. They had perfectionism that they, they just couldn't stand to like get up and actually botch a song. That would ruin the rest of their life. And they'd, they'd have nightmares about that one time they got on stage and a song ended badly. Yeah. And and they, they couldn't pull the trigger on that. And yet the the other people to watch out for were the people who said, yeah, I'm a great singer or, yeah, I'm a killer guitarist or whatever. And you'd bring them in and hopefully you'd do a rehearsal first, because if you had them come and sit in, it would be it, it could be a disaster. Now, th these are the two far ends of, of the spectrum. In the middle is the rest of us, you know, it, the, the guys that muddled through and, and had enough confidence to get in and do some band work. And because I played with people in bands who were very shy, reserved, never wanted to be the lead singer or stand out, but they were great bass players, but they'd sit back in the shadows next to the next to the kick drum and just, you know, lay down the the uh, uh, backbeat. And they, they they were very competent, but they didn't want it. They they were embarrassed if you'd even say their name during the during the show. So they're very shy, but they really enjoyed making music and they liked doing it live in, in front of audiences. Yeah. Uh, the bass player for the original bass player for the Eagles. I don't know if you saw the special on the Eagles that was on HBO a couple of months ago. He's a famous case. He he was very shy, very introverted, very reserved. Was confident enough to be in a band of that <clears throat> of that stature. It mm -hmm. was I think the original bass player. And his song was uh, "Take It to the Limit," mm -hmm. which has this. He 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 had a great. <clears throat> I think it's a, a contralto. Uh, and he got very, very high at the end. Um, take yeah. it to the limit one more time. And performing it live drove him to quit the band. Wow. He, he actually was, he used to beg the guys not to make him sing the song, but it was like a number one hit. And they said, we, half the audience, uh, the girls out there, are there waiting for us to do that song? You can't not do it. Mm -hmm. And he did it for years. Finally, the, the stress just got to him. Wow. So you think about <clears throat> guys like that. And then, then I think about guys like, um, some of the best actors of, of the previous generation. I'm thinking of uh, some some of the guys that were in, uh, some of the British actors. Uh, Lawrence Olivier is who I'm thinking mm. of. 
did movies, was a, was a star, was a, a great supporting star like in Lawrence of Arabia, mm-hmm. but also a, a star in his own right like in um, uh, Dr. Zhivago and things like that. But he liked live theater too. However, to get out on the stage in live theater, he had to vomit several times off stage yeah. before he could get out there. He was just racked with doubt. Uh, uh, um, he, you know, they, but but he did it. I mean, he he overcame it, and that's where the where the study comes in. So anybody who looks at confidence and you look at somebody that you think is confident, <clears throat> the thing to do is to look critically at what's go, what's really going on there, and that's where things like, you know, some of the best speakers on stage that we've seen in in, in our career, me included, are shy, reserved. Uh, uh, introverts who don't do well in you know social situations yet get up in, on a stage in front of 500 people and blow the room away you know yeah. Dan, Dan, Dan Kennedy is, 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 is another good example mm-hmm. and it's like if all you looked at was the brashness of the way we presented ourselves on stage you think there's a really confident guy and it's just absolutely untrue but like you know, but we figured out this Dunning Kruger effect early on in our in our lives by watching other people screw up and make excuses and still be confident, and other people be unconfident and go up and do it really really well and yeah. start to figure out. Wait a minute, and you know, you couple that with the idea of you know the tricks they uh, give people who are afraid of uh, public speaking is you know you look at the audience you think. They put their pants on one leg at a time, and actually, that's a corruption of a more of a more grosser uh, example of being human. It's like everybody out there. I mean, even the most perfect-looking person who looks confident and has a lot of things going for them, you know, they've they've still got health issues. They've got mental issues. They've got uh, they've got things going on. They get zits and uh, they, they go they go bald early. They uh, they have problems with their uh, digestive system. You know, they may be up there on stage farting up a storm. You know, it's a, it's and if you start to realize that you're part of this continuum of human beings, all of whom are flawed. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest discovery I ever had. I was a very unconfident guy who had no reason to be confident and had to find the hut's paw in the cojones somewhere. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you talk about, you know, people like to say, oh, grow a pair, you know, yeah, just, just right. buck up and do yeah. it. Well, that's easier said than done. But right. once you've done it a few times, it is actually easier done than said. It's like, I can tell you how to do this, but I can't make you do it. You have to do it yeah. internally. You have to find the way to make that confidence become manifest. Yes. So, yeah, did, did you have something you wanted to No, just, yeah, I was going to say step one, survive a couple times. And, and <laughs> then true. and then know that, okay, it's um, you know, it won't kill me. But it's interesting. Randy Meisner is the bass yeah. player. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's a fascinating thing that he, it just sounds like in his case, he just never got better. And he would have to force himself every time to get out there and do it and to the point where he just said, screw this, I can't. I don't think he was a heavy. I'm trying to think, and I don't want to say anything against the guy because he's he was a brilliant musician and uh, and songwriter. But I don't think he got into drugs very heavily, although they were a druggy band. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that he even drank very much, or not. it just doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. But <clears throat> sometimes people find courage in booze. I mean, the the typical introvert is a guy who 
you know, does well at parties if you get a little booze into yeah. them. You know, then they got the lampshade on and <laughs> got everybody in the conga line, you know. And, and then the next day they're humiliated because they, you know, they had, you know, put themselves out there like that. And they're going to take a week to recover when they don't want to talk to anybody or see anybody for a while. So, so I, 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 I would say the first step of confidence. In fact, I, I wrote down some notes and let, let me just chime in here. And then, then I'd like to get your take on, on, especially from being on stage. Yeah. Uh, did, have, have you seen the recent R- Richard Pryor, um, uh, doc documentary on Showtime or HBO? No, I didn't. It's pretty good. They, they interview a lot of comics. They interview mm. some of his friends and stuff. You know, he came, you know, he was raised in a whorehouse, you know, it's, yeah. it's Peoria. Yeah, just yeah. Interesting stuff. Anyway, I, I want to get this out before I, before mm-hmm. I, uh, forget i was kind of creating like this hierarchy of of confidence and um there is confidence with no chops in other words you have no skills and you but you have confidence that you can do something you may be overconfident you that kind of confidence is kind of uh unearned or it's it's a little skewed. If you have no skills whatsoever and you're confident, you can walk into the batter's box and face down a Roger Clemens fastball at 104 miles an hour and, and hit it. You're an idiot. Okay. But then there's confidence with chops. And that breaks down into confidence with just chops. You know, if if that's like the typical freelancer who 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 learns about direct response, but he's still kind of a rookie, but he knows he can, you know, he, he, he knows what goes into an ad. So he's confident he at least is not going to not create a direct response ad. He doesn't know how good it's going to be or whether it's going to be the control or whatever, but he's, he's confident at least that he's covered the basics. Say he's taken the simple writing system. So he knows the basics. Mm -hmm. Then there's, there's confidence with chops or skills and experience. And that's where you start to say, I've done a job like this before, or I've done five jobs, three of them were hits, two were bombs. I'm pretty confident that I learned more, you know, from the bombs, so I won't won't make those mistakes again. Maybe in the next five, I'll do four good and one bad, things like that. Then there's confidence with chops, experience, and hutzpah, hmm. or cojones, which is where you just say, you know what, I'm going to go... You know, and that's the way Halbert and I used to be. We used to walk into clients' offices where we had no idea what the job was going to be. What the we didn't know much about the market, and we just knew that we, you know, we had experience, we had chops, and we walked in and we just said, essentially, we told guys who had never been told this before. We told them to shut up and sit down. <laughs> yeah, and then we started telling them what was what and whatever. And I've been with Halbert when we've done that, and it didn't work out. You know, they had Bob. <laughs> Rarely did that happen, but those were, you know, we and we learned a lot, and we still had fun. And actually, sometimes those clients hired us back because yeah. they knew that it bombed. Because you know, even the best bomb once in a while, you can't. Nobody bats a, a thousand percent in, right. uh, in 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 advertising or in baseball. And then the last one, and this is this is the key: <clears throat> confidence with chops and experience and hutzpah and self knowledge. Mm. And that's where if 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 you typically underestimate how well you're going to do, if you typically are and a lot of some of the brightest, most wonderful people you're ever going to meet are very self-deprecating. They yeah. put themselves down a lot. Mm-hmm. They, they 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 can't brag. They uh, they blush when other people brag for them. They're they're not attention seekers and they, they really don't want to, They are so afraid of overstating their case that they understate it. 
And those, if you know you're that type of person, you can start to adjust and you can reframe the situation. You can reframe the language you use. So you say, look, I'm not going to guarantee you I'll, I'll hit a home run here. But I'll tell you, I've worked in markets like this, and I have hit home runs before. I've hit many of them, in fact. And I feel very confident that, that I can give you the best effort I can because I've cleared the decks to be able to work on this, blah, blah, blah. So, so you know, so the, the person on the other side, the, the client may or may not respond well to this. There are clients out there who want the bluster, who wants the guy to just tell them, give it to me, get out of town, and when you come back, I'll have an ad ready, and it will, it will change your life, and I guarantee it. They, they want to hear that, that bullshit. Yeah. Other clients respond really well. Clients with experience and self-knowledge respond well to, an to a, a writer who will tell them the truth, and the truth is, can't guarantee it's going to work, but I'll tell you what, I will map it out. You will be absolutely clear why it worked or why it didn't work. Because you will understand what went into it, the thinking behind it, all of that stuff. This, the, the the entire process of getting from, you know, fr from beginning to a finished ad that's going to go out there and be your salesman in the in in the world. Yeah. So a lot of people really really uh, 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 like like to hear that more. But that comes from self knowledge. That comes from getting going much deeper and thinking much more critically about things than just I did well, I didn't do well. Uh, I'm, you know, I know more than this guy, or I'm smarter than this guy, or I'm better looking than this guy, and therefore I'm going to do better, blah, blah, blah. Right. By the way, the third thing from the Dunning-Kruger effect mm -hmm. is for people who are competent in one thing, mm. often misunderstand how competent they will be in something else. Interesting. And that's why so many entrepreneurs screw up their second business. They'll, they'll get one business, they'll do really well, mm. they'll sell it for a gazillion bucks, and they'll go out and they'll waste it all on really stupid ideas that don't work. Uh, I've seen that happen multiple times. Yeah. Well, I know you've said, and I've seen firsthand, sometimes the, the best, uh, albeit unpleasant, most unpleasant advice you have to give people is cut it out. <laughs> Just stop it. <laughs> I can see the future. Uh, you know, um, it's pretty it, funny, and I do that a lot. I know you do, I, yeah. I, and it's mastermind and during brainstorms, yeah. Well, that's when you know you got a true uh, mentor and coach because <laughs> it's not usually what people want to hear, especially if it's a very passionate product. Uh, project. Well, you, you, you know what? Passionate people also get passionate about trashing themselves, too. They passionately believe mm. they're unworthy of success. Yeah. And until you understand that that's what's holding you back, that that's a sticking point, you're not going to be able to deal with it if you don't know what it is. Right. So, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure you have some, some yeah, insight. Well, from you know, I, going back to Dunning-Kruger uh, for a second, it made me think of uh, Carol Dweck's mindset. And um, her her theory of the fixed mindset compared to the growth mindset. Are you familiar with that? No, I'm not. Oh, this is great. So it's right in line with that. Uh, I'm sure there's some correlation between her study and, and theirs. But so um, one of the one of the best examples I've ever heard of it is Josh Waitzkin has a book called the The Art of Learning. He was a Bobby. He was the next Bobby Fisher, child prodigy, chess champion. And so lived his entire childhood under this pressure of being the next greatest chess champion, you know, and someday he, he will beat Bobby Fischer. Uh -huh. and, and then uh, when he finally was able to step away from that career, he got obsessed with uh, push hands um, uh, wrestling. Uh, I forget the exact uh, name of the, um, the, the martial art, but 
you know, very, very complex, takes lots of study, and became a national Gracie champion. Gracie Jiu-Jitsu? Yeah, it wasn't Jiu-Jitsu. It, it, it's, pu- it's push hands. Uh, it might be push hands Jiu-Jitsu. No, I'll have to look it up. But um, but it's it's a really interesting, you know, it's like very low uh, uh, friction, like not a lot of grappling, you know? It's, it, it's oh. like really like an energy you put out, Re- really fascinating. And so... He then he became a, a champion of that, and you're thinking, how could this kid, uh, you know, have these two at a relatively young age in his mid twenties? Like by the time he's thirty, he's been the the world's best at two things, like you know, highly stuff that some old men will will still be trying to master late in mm-hmm. life, right? And so he realized it wasn't the, the he didn't have any innate ability except for for learning. That's what he was good at was learning huh. and so he would go around and he, he would you know uh, he could be hired to come in and coach uh some you know a, a group of chess players like young prodigy chess players and he tells the story of a dad picking him up from the airport and t- talking non-stop about his kid um you know the whole ride from the airport oh he's never been beat he's unbelievable it's we've never seen anything like it He's going to be the next great champion. You know, he'll, he'll remain undefeated his whole life. And he said, before I even met the kid, I knew what was going to happen. <laughs> the kid wouldn't play. The entire weekend, all these chess players come on learning from this guy, and the kid refused to sit at a board for the, for the, because, you know, the, all he'd heard and all this praise, he's going to be the best, he's the best, he'll, he'll, he'll never be defeated. He had a fixed mindset, and he had attached all his prowess, all his ability to this one claim that he's never been beat. And the truth is, he's beating his dad, right? He's beating a competent uh-huh. player, but not a, not a real challenge. Whereas, So that's a fixed mindset, and it's basically something parents do to their kids un- unknowingly. Uh-huh. And, and the growth mindset is kind of what you said about the, the Dunning-Kruger people who, who go, ah, Hopefully I'll do all right. You know, I'm usually okay, but we'll see what happens. Right. That's someone who's willing to say, I'm not the best. I can always get better. Uh, and, and let's see what happens. Those are the people who are going to excel and live much happier lives. Whereas the fixed people will avoid being exposed. Uh, and Interesting. Yeah, really fascinating. And so you see a lot of that in, in copywriters, right? Uh, you know, like you say, they, they, they have some big wins and then inevitably everybody's going to have a flop and you know what how are you going to react to that uh that's when it really takes a community i think and some mentors to go you know this happens to everybody get over it It, it, it's fine um that's probably the single best piece of advice john that i have hanging on my wall that you gave me at a critical point in my career was that you know you have to go big you have to be bold and you're gonna screw up and just you know stand behind your screw-ups just like you do your successes and keep moving on and you'll be fine. That, that was huge for me because yeah. if, I, if I, I had some early winners out of the gate and if, if I didn't know it was okay to screw up, I might have thought, that's it, I'm exposed. You know, entrepreneurs and, and freelancers very often have this imposter syndrome, yeah. uh, which is another issue with confidence. Like It's like they have all the results, great testimonials, they're getting referred work and still they're coming to – uh, people they see as you know industry leaders and going, dude, just tell me I'm doing this right because I, I I feel like a complete fraud even though I'm getting paid good money for this. 
You know how that guys like um, Gary Benzavinga, I don't know his his sense of confidence. I, I think it's probably fairly high, but it's a very real sense. Yeah. And one of the things that I learned from observing how Gary Benzavinga goes about a job was that he doesn't take the the job as, you know, the, the final work as the final say on it. In other words, he would spend back, back when these were big numbers and now it's even more, but he would spend three months or more writing the package, creating the package. But then he'd spend six months to a year massaging the package. Right. And once he had a client that understood that, the, you know, there was no such thing as a bomb in his world because he would, even if it did fail initially, he was able to go back and fix it. And he had the experience in doing that. So he became a creator and a fixer. So whereas a lot of clients in the big money advertising games use new writers as the fixer. In other words, they have a control, the control starts to fail, they bring in another guy uh, to write against it, he he wins the control, and then another guy comes in and that guy fails. Well, the guy that fails then doesn't get a second shot at beating the control. They will bring in another writer to do that. Now, uh, other marketers who are really relying on an ad that's worked for a long time, the ad starts to fail, they often don't go back to the original writer. They'll go to another writer who will come in and try to try to beef the thing up and get it going. If you understand you have the same guy in one package, a guy who can write and create a, a damn good ad mm -hmm. and keep that ad going once it gets going or get it going if it doesn't go right away, then that's like, you know, that's the guy who's a designer and a mechanic. You know, and a and a troubleshooter and and everything, the whole package. And that's what you want to strive to become <clears throat> is that person for whom failure is not the, the the final word. I mean, how do you define failure? Is it you you wrote an ad and it went out and a bomb, nobody responded. Well, <clears throat> a lot of writers would just throw up their hands and say, Well, I tried and it bombed. Right. <clears throat> the fixer will go back and say, first, is it the ad? Was it a technical glitch? Was your was your order page working? Right. Did the email even go out? Did it get delivered? Did it get into inboxes? What was the open rate? Um, you know, start looking at that whole funnel thing. So that's like the, the mechanic or the plumber part of it. Right. And then let's say a number of people did did go to the ad. Well, what what was it the offer? Where did they drop off? Where did we start losing people? Right. And then you look in and say, oh, my God, did you know you have a, a competitor out there offering everything you're charging $1,000 for for $100 <laughs> and they're actually mentioning your product and that? <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't know that. You know, so, yeah. and, then, and, then, and then you go back, you say, well, you know, maybe the thing was priced too high. Maybe it's not a competitor. Maybe it's just, you know, is this really worth $1,000? And mm -hmm. we thought about this and we decided $1,000 was the way to go. Maybe we should have gone less. Let's try it. Let's test. So that's why, you know, that, that's where this process comes in, where success is a process. Process, it's not an event. Yeah. And that changes everything because then you can, once you have the experience and uh, the, the chops, you can, you know, you, you can say, look, I know nothing about your market. I know nothing about your audience. I know nothing about um, the uh, 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 product or the, or, the, or the way you do business or anything. But I know I can break all this down. And I know that given time, resources, and uh, support that we can figure this out. And you can. There's not a market or a product out there that can't be sold mm -hmm. at some point under some guise. Now, yeah. 
you know, sometimes there are just truly horrible products and despicable clients in overworked, horrible markets. And, you know, it, it will you have to judge how much work it's going to be to succeed. But you can succeed. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> you can make you can sell pet rocks. You can sell dirt to people, you know, coat of arms, are, you know, yeah. city gardeners. You can sell ice to Eskimos. Yes, you can. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, it's so that it's just it's it's a way of looking at things. So people who talk about not being confident, often I think what they're talking about is their own sense of worth, their own uh, call it self-respect, self-worth. Um, uh, there's a lot of different names for it. And at some point, you may have to get thee to a therapist. Yeah, uh, I've had a shrink I've gone to for years, and uh, over my career, I've gone to like four different shrinks. Now, I don't go into shrinks and whine and cry and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, talk about my, my spoiled childhood and stuff because, uh, frankly, I, I had a pretty damn good childhood. Mm -hmm. But what I go into a shrink for is the fact that I can say anything I need to say to a person who has knowledge about the human condition and how humans operate mm. in a room where nothing I say gets outside of those four walls. Yeah. So I can really turn off the caution and I can relax and often the I, we wind up laughing. I'm you know, my therapist, uh, my, my shrink is laughing, I'm laughing. Uh, we're having a good time and I'm not talking about the, the painful stuff in my life. I'm talking about trying to move to another level, mm. which involves a bit of pain. Yeah, uh, it's, it's like the birthing process, but but it's it's and I'm asking him frankly to double check me. You know, he's not trying to blow smoke up my ass. He's not trying to gain anything by complimenting me. He he not only has nothing to lose by telling me the truth, that's his job. And so he yeah. will tell me, you're you're overblowing this, you know, you know, you're 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 going off, you know, into dark alleys. Uh, you're you know, there's no reason for you to feel this way. And he gives me tools because the guy is well steeped in NLP and, and a lot of other stuff. So he's very good at reframing stuff. And he's he's a he's a psychology historian. So he understands where a lot of this stuff comes comes from, where, right. you know, mesmer, you know, developed into hip hip uh, into mesmerizing, then the hypnosis and then NLP, all this stuff. It's all laid bare. So. For a lot of people, and I'm, I'm a fairly well-adjusted adult, and I have been for a long time, I still go to a shrink because it, it's a tool. It's part of my resource kit to keep, mm -hmm. me, keep, me, uh, to keep me honest, to keep me straight, to be able to have that outlet. I recommend it for anybody. Find, f find, uh, find a person who can help you find the invisible or unconscious sticking points that may be feeding this sense that you're unworthy because being unconfident and unworthy are two different things. Mm. Um, you know, I am not confident at all that I could go out and stand in the batter's box and face down a, a you know, Roger Clemens 104 mile an hour fastball and do anything other than scream like a little girl. <laughs> but I played, I played hardball until I was 17. I was a skilled baseball player. Mm. So I understand the process. I still don't want to go in there and, and, and face a Roger Clemens, you know, yeah, fastball. Right. So. So there, it's I, the, the the confidence and the knowledge and the understanding of the of the situation. All of this comes into play. So for whenever I encounter people who are being unreasonably unconfident, as as I think you said, one of the easiest ways to do it's just kind of the virtual or sometimes a real slap up across across the head. I used to slap. Uh, 
our pal um, Chris Adott. Uh, Chris Adott a lot, you know. And when I'd find out he was at an event, I'd ask somebody like Big Jason to go find him and then slap him upside <laughs> the head. So that's from Carlton. Yeah, and he, Chris talks fondly about yeah. this, you know, reminded him. It's like, you know, stop putting yourself down. Stop stop not being, you know, all you can be kind of. And all you can be doesn't need to be an overconfident lout who's out there, you know, chewing up the scenery all the time and trying to be the center of attention and stuff. Know yourself. Know where your limits are and know what's real and what's not real. That that may be the ultimate thing of confidence you know what's real and what's not yeah, real. what's yeah. not real is that because you failed because you wet your pants standing in front of the crowd the class in kindergarten doesn't mean you can't stand on a stage as an adult and deliver a, a killer speech right yet there are a lot of people for whom that's the sticking point you know the i couldn't suffer that humiliation right oh, yeah you could it didn't kill you then it won't kill you now you know that's the reality. I guess so. Yeah. So one one thing they need to have is a big reason why. Like why why is what's the reason for facing that fear, right? Yeah. Uh, but oh yeah, good point. Do you, you think that um, you know practice and frameworks can help? I guess situ- situationally, right? That that's a, you mean a, in reframing stuff. You mean? Well, I mean, like for instance, when I um, coach freelancers about how to price themselves, right? First mm-hmm. of all most of them just made up some price or they think that there's this like going rate in the market and they're just trying to be in line with that, which is a really bad way to price yourself. I'm Uh, going to charge you (laughs) $1,000. That's right. I heard other people are charging 12, so I'm a thousand. So um, I teach them how to, you know, first find out what it's worth to them. But then the big challenge is they have to say those numbers and they do things like they set ranges uh, well, you know, because they don't want to say the number, yeah. uh, you know, boldly, it's 50 K for, for a launch package. Cause they, I mean, what it's just digits. Like, but you know, when you think, uh, if you're charging five or 10, you think that's outrageous. Like that's a, it's an insulting thing to say to somebody. Right. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I think there's frameworks that can be helpful, but it's a mix of, using a framework, practicing, like you really, I think I've told this, the story on this show about my friend, Billy, the first time I was ever going to headline a show, uh-huh. he, he got me the gig. It was a club in Pittsburgh where he knew the owner. And I said, what do I charge? He said, tell the guy your price is a, a, a thousand. And I go, okay, a thousand dollars. He goes, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not a thousand dollars. He goes, say it, he goes, say it like this, a thousand <laughs> and, he, and we sat there and practiced and role played until I had it down. Oh, and, I love it. And it, it was it was huge for me because I was I was like, right? If I don't sound like I've ever said this damn number before, I'm going to go. I guess I I would take a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's like, how about eight hundred, you douche? Right? So, and and that was a big lesson to me. And so, what was what was his reason for not saying dollars? Just because if you if your price is a thousand dollars. By anything you say, it's going to become slang eventually, yeah. right? And you're Good just going, to, yeah, it's, it's a thousand for a week. That's my yeah. price. Um, and so it, it's just how you would say it if you were used to saying it, right? It's yeah. like any good actor is you're going to learn the nomenclature, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so, so I think that I kind of asked you a question and, and answered it. I, do you have anything to say about about well, practice? Well, th- that that just reminds me of something I was. Um, I, I, I said, I think, in Kick-Ass Copyright, which was about selling from your heels. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people, 
Except I was talking about doing it in in in, in the pitch and yeah. in ads and stuff. But but it it's it even comes down to selling yourself and and every point of 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 confidence, I guess. You know, whether you're dealing with negotiating a a price for a job or. Uh, negotiating a headline or negotiating the actual offer in, in, in the pitch is most people, as you said, can't say the words. They, they, they feel creepy, odd. Their idea of a quote-unquote salesman is the used car guy in the loud jacket, the, <laughs> the caricature of a, of a salesman. Yeah. And so they say, I, I couldn't do that. And that's why that meme of Selling without selling got so yeah, big yeah. and still is big. It's like people want to hear that, and yeah. it's bullshit, of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's what people want to hear. It's like I, you know, I, I want to make money, but I don't want to have to sell to do it. <laughs> okay, uh, why don't you go rob a bank then? You know, there's a good thing. Um, so it's, it's and and most people when I talk about selling from your heels, it's like you're you're you you almost got one foot behind you. And you're kind of half turn. You say eh, it's a thousand dollars. You probably don't want it. You turn around. You bolt. That's that's the worst case. The other one is you're right. looking. You're looking. You know, it's it's one thousand dollars, but it's negotiable, and you're still ready right. to bolt. And at the first sign, if the guy goes woof, then you wet yourself and you run out the door. And, you know, it, it, it's like stop that. You know, yeah. just. Whatever you have to do, just like Billy told you, stand up, square your shoulders, and just tell them what it is. Get past that moment of this is negotiable. And if it right. is negotiable, it's negotiable. That's fine. But you still need to shut up after you say it and, and yeah. let them uh, yep. tell you there's a – you know, because here's the thing. If you've done a good job of convincing somebody you're the person for them or what you have is what they need. And, and that, now they're going to try to lowball you on the price. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, price is <laughs> secondary, but they might say – Ah, because I tell I tell freelancers I go here's the best outcome I go if you've first of all if somebody says to you how much is it for never answer yeah. that question right you haven't gotten them where they need to be yet right. um, but when it does come to price and you confidently give your price and you've done your job of helping them understand the value you're going to bring to the project if if the price is too big they're not going to say that's crazy and and hang up and right. feel insulted they're going to say man I, I I'm sure you're worth it. It's a little out of my league. Uh, what is there anything we can do? Is there is there you know? They'll sit there and f figure out how to how to hire you because because mm -hmm. it's not about price anymore. And worst case scenario, it's just not a fit, and you get to refer someone else who's on their way up. And that's a great mark of a, a freelancer success when you're you're giving out leads to other people. Talk about raising your stock in yeah. the in the industry, right? And think about, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's all right, go ahead. Um, th think about the times you bought something more than you were going to buy. I just bought a, uh, a new TV. My old plasma was not a smart TV, and it was getting embarrassing having <laughs> this 10-year-old plasma, you know. And uh, so we, we uh, went to um, uh, Best Buy, and to be able to do that, I first had to take Michelle out for uh, Bloody Marys at brunch. <laughs> And then we got over there. We went there. We were going to buy. We were set. We were going to buy a 50-inch Sony. Um, we knew the model. We And we walked out with a 60-inch Samsung, mm. you know, loaded with goodies and uh, have never been happier. But we wound up spending a lot more than 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 we thought, even though we, we still got a, a great deal. Mm -hmm. But the thing was, we convinced ourselves, you know. It's just we knew what we wanted, the price 
for a client, the price is always negotiable, but it's negotiable inside of his head because, uh, you know, I've had multi-millionaire clients who, you know, write, typically write, you know, six-figure checks to their their son's uh, boarding school without batting an eye yeah. who will, you know, bitch and moan about a $500, you know, over his imagined amount for a job that's going to make him another gazillion dollars to be able to fund his lifestyle. Right. So it's like, you know, penny-wise and, and pound-foolish. So you got to let them understand it. you you got to put the right ingredients in his head and let it cook. That whole idea of saying your piece, making your pitch, and then shutting up is very, very important to the point that if you keep talking after you've done what you know from experience you need to do to, to seal the deal, and then you know you say anything else, you risk ruining the deal, and it's your fault. Yeah. Because you've interrupted the process, the cooking process that has to go off and it can be you know it can take 20 minutes it can take 20 days it can take a while yeah. for that microwave to go off in his head and then <laughs> ding and then the <laughs> thing's ready okay I'll do it you know yeah. but he has to it has it has you know everything has has to be uh, done in order in in the process so a lot of times confidence is just knowing the formula you know knowing that if I do this 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 and this my chances of getting the result I want are high, right? As opposed to this is the result I want. I'm a pretty bitching guy, so I'm going to figure this out as I go. You know, low chance of of of, of making it work. Yeah. You know, if if you're you're shooting from the hip and you're going in there, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a hundred thousand dollars for a you know for a uh, for, for an ad. Are you now? Okay. <laughs> you know. Can you show me nice. some of these? Yeah. Yeah. I can you show to some me other some clients who have stuff. paid that and still like you? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's 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 a process. But the the thing that does infuriate me the most is the unconfident, competent person. Mm. Um, I'm actually offended by them because I was such a beast myself. And Mm. we're always offended by the things that we once were. You know, it's it's, uh, you know, and and the self-knowledge comes into effect in that we don't trash the person. We then try to try to help them. We try to bring them from that infuriating state or that state that so infuriated us because it was holding us back. They haven't gotten to that point of understanding they need to change. And you want to facilitate that process. You want to help them get to that point of change. So that's where the the teacher comes in to be able to knock you upside the head and say, no. That's not it. It's this. And, you know, you don't even have to take the same path that, that the teacher took or that the person took. You can invent, you can reinvent your own path. You're perfectly welcome to do that. And most of the top writers I know have done that. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I, what, what, while you were talking about negotiating fees, I was thinking about Dan Kennedy, that uh, dinner yes. we had with yes. him. It just, you know, it's just, he's just brilliant at yeah positioning himself and positioning the client yeah. so they are helpless right you know they they already agree to pay him a certain amount of money to do something right. they've assumed this is going to include x y and z and he says oh nay 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 x <laughs> y and z are now blah 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 and it's based on a fraction of what we've done and by the time he's through putting pencil and paper and mapping out the guy's paid two three four times what what he thought he was going to pay, he's still happy about it because he understands what he's going to get. Yeah, and he hasn't been fleeced because, again, we're talking about paying a writer an exorbitant amount of money is only exorbitant if it doesn't work. If it works, and you get ten or twelve or twenty or a hundred times that amount back, 
you know, you're printing money, you know, that, and that's what a good ad can do. That's what a lot of clients don't understand. They're very short-sighted until they get up, their backs up against the wall, then they realize they absolutely need an ad. They can't write it. All the cheap things they tried to do aren't working, and they come and flop themselves at your feet and say, I'll pay you anything. Take a percentage of the, of the deal. Um, you know, I'll make you a partner. I will, you know, I will dig a pool in your backyard. You know? <laughs> and, and because they, you know, they, they're in that state. And then a, an, an unethical writer will take advantage of that. And the ethical writer will just say, I told you what my fee is. My fee is my fee because I've negotiated in my own head. I understand what I'm worth. I understand what I can do. And I don't want to be a businessman. I don't want to be your partner. Yeah. I'll be your silent partner by taking a percentage. But I won't be an active partner. I'm not going to come in and rescue you. I'm going to do what I told you I was going to do in the first place, which was create advertising, which is what I do. That gets back to that Dunning-Kruger effect thing of a lot of people who are good at something. You know, we all know copywriters who were very good copywriters, brilliant A-listers, who then decided they were going to be brilliant at, I don't know, real estate or right. um, you know software uh, you know companies or something they thought well I was good at this I can be good at this right not not only is it not always the case but if you think you're going you know if you make the mistake of thinking that it wasn't the process that I used to become a great copywriter that made me great because I'm a great person and I'm smart and I'll figure everything out and then right. you go and take that attitude so, so attitudes can change. You know, people who work their, their self into a successful, confident attitude through the formula, through the grinding process of, you know, settling the, un, the, the unknown fears, getting the self-knowledge, the hotspot, the experience and the chops. If you forget that, if, if you forget that that's what it did and you think somehow you, you've got the magic touch, you're going you're gonna to be rudely awakened by the universe very, very soon. Yeah. And that's not a good way to go. It's the process. It's painful. The 10,000 hours to learn things everybody's heard about. <clears throat> 10,000 hours to become a, an expert guitarist, a expert writer, um, an expert almost at, at anything. you got to put your time in. Maybe it's not exactly 10,000 hours, but the idea is that it's a lot more than you thought. It's like, you know, two to five years of full-time work yeah. to be able to get to a super competent point. You can be competent much earlier, but to get to that expert level status, you got to put the time in. Yeah. And, you know, I would add to that, that that doesn't mean hand copying great ads for 10,000 hours. That no. does not make you a competent copywriter. No. It means actually working and, you know, feeling the emotions of, of having money on the line. Uh, and seeing real results, seeing what, you know, when the market weighs in, what are we looking at now and how do we fix it? The real gun to the head stuff you talk about and kick ass. Yeah. Um, because it's just, I just think that's important to understand. Even when you hand copy ads or however, that's a great thing to do. Uh, understand the rhythm of great writing and all that stuff. But the best advice Gary Bensavang ever gave me was, as you're doing that, those type of activities and studying great ads, always be asking yourself, what's one thing I might change about this ad to make it convert even better? Yeah. Because then you're developing your style, the way you think, the things you identify, and that's can only come from your unique DNA. Uh, and if you're not exercising that at the same time you're you know, showing your hand what to do, then that's not the real 10,000 hours we're talking about here. 
Yeah, I, I wasn't actually aware that that uh, writers were taking that copying ads by hand a little a little too far. I mean, um, Halbert recommended it. I recommended uh, guys like Hunter Thompson actually typed out Hemingway. Yeah. He didn't handwrite. He typed it out because mm -hmm. he wanted to feel what it was like to write a sentence like that. But he didn't do like every book Hemingway wrote. Right. And and Halbert didn't recommend you do every single ad. Do three or four. You know, it's it's it's, it's and you, you you know you just need to viscerally feel what it's like to write those sentences. And I always say the reason you do it is because if you most people are confident, incorrectly so, that they can look at a headline and say, "Yeah, I got it." And you, and you say, "Write that headline out by." Uh, by hand, and they say, yeah, 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 I, I got it, I understand what you're saying, no, no, write it out, no, I got it, okay, what's the headline, and you don't let them look at it, and from memory, they will screw it up, right. they'll come back with a completely different thing, and I say, that's what you learned was an incorrect idea of what that headline, if you write it out by hand, you then know, if you do this critically, you know, you know, really paying attention to what's going on, focus, then you can say, oh, I would have used the words blah here, but he used those words, or he cut it short or he didn't go off on a tangent or he didn't put a comma there or whatever the, the thing was mm -hmm. you're learning how that writer worked as far as Ben Zavinga's thing that's that's great that's a that's a critical thinking element you know um, authors and writers read books two different ways I will read a book for enjoyment where I just allow myself to be taken on on a ride by a writer but he better be a damn good writer yeah. because if he he writes one clunky sentence I'm suddenly jolted back <laughs> into my critical thinking yeah, yeah. writing where I'm thinking well what the hell is, did he do that for you know that was stupid and the other kind of writing is totally critical thinking that's where you're like Ben Zavinga said you are you are applying critical thought to everything you read. You are focusing on this. Why did he use that word and not another word? Why? Why? Where is he going? Mm -hmm. Ah, why? Why did he do that? Oh, I see what he did there. That that kind of thing. And I've actually read the same books twice: once critically and once for pure enjoyment. Mm -hmm. Actually, in the in the opposite order: once for pure enjoyment. Then I'll go back and read it and find, just find out what he did. Mm -hmm. And so that's a that, that's a good tactic to use. And I see that we're up on. Uh, 45 minutes or so. So it's, it's probably good to wrap this up. We, we could go on forever and ever and ever on on confidence. It's such a such a great subject and such a bugaboo for so many yeah. writers and marketers and people just living their lives. You know, one of the great secrets of the, the PUA market, the pickup artists, mm -hmm. is that you give guys an excuse and a seeming magic shield to actually go out side the door once and talk to talk to women or to talk to people actually and that was you know that's often the biggest secret of all it's just go out and engage with other human beings because a lot of people who are having trouble meeting people and stuff aren't engaging at all hmm. and often the answer is very very simple and confidence comes from just thinking yeah I got a magic trick that I can show and I've actually been ordered or, you know, I've been given permission. That's a better way. I've been given permission to go out and actually talk to somebody as yeah. opposed to constantly asking yourself, and especially the smart, introverted, shy people who think, eh, they don't want to talk to me or, you know, I don't have anything to show. I'm not good looking. I'm not this. I'm not that. You know, yeah, you can, anybody can talk themselves out of anything. A, a really good thing to do is get some good looking friends who are convinced they're ugly. That's fun to be around. 
because they they see you know they're big they're strong they're talented they're uh, they're 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 good looking they've they 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 have good breeding and they still think they're a piece of shit deep inside and it's like wow really you know you know it's it's and it's just the human condition we are a writhing mass of conflicting emotions and id and all this stuff going on all at the same time it is total freaking chaos in the control room yeah and you know how you get through that is you concentrate you have formulas and you kind of kind of figure out where you're going and you try to do the right thing and the right thing for yourself is to you know fix the gaping holes in your in your box of skills to uh, get the experience you're lacking, you know, don't just write out ads, go out and get a lot of clients, a lot of clients, mm-hmm. and really pay attention to all the lessons you learn. And have some chutzpah, but be able to back it up. Don't try to be a bully just because you've, you've interpreted other people's yeah. cojones as being a bully. Understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. And the reason to have chutzpah is to give comfort to the client who needs it. Mm-hmm. Most of the top writers have a couple of different personalities they'll use on different clients. Some need to be a little bit bullied. Some need to be, you know, handled with kid gloves. Some need to, you know, some combination of that. So when it, when you're able to understand that where they're coming from and what they need to be able to get to the decision to first hire you, then to run the ad, then to, you know, whatever, test other things and do things, you have to be able to understand what you're dealing with. The confidence to do that comes from understanding how it's done, then doing it, then being forceful about doing it, actually, actually forcing yourself to be, be on high alert, consciously practicing all the time, and knowing where your own sticking points are. So... I don't yeah. know. You got anything to add? Great stuff. Yeah, no, just that I, I think we could do a you know a whole nother show just on the inner dialogue that we all hear in our heads, right? And how to. Well, we we did that show about the control room, wasn't that? That's like true. A, it was similar show. to that. So yeah. we could go off on that some more. I don't know how people. Yeah. I don't remember how people responded to that, but yeah, yeah, just the idea that there's more than one voice inside your head sometimes is a revelation to people. It's like, wait, wait, there's no me. Well, there might be a you, but really. That you is a multi-headed creature inside your head, and there's a lot of other creatures vying for attention. Yeah. And depending on who has their hands on the controls in the control room, you know you're going to be out of control, or you're, you're going to you're going to be you know a very disciplined, focused person, or you're going to be you know actively participating in your own demise, you know, yeah. your own failure. So I love yeah. it. I love the I love the the unconfident, competent person. Uh, I think it's brilliant that, that uh, I agree with you. It, 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 it is offensive. It's one you can, if you've survived it and you recognize it, you do take it personally because you know yeah. what's on just the other side of that. If you can help somebody get there. So if you feel like that's you, uh, then a good place to go is to John Carlton's blog. I'd like that segue at John dash Carlton.com. John's got an amazing archive. How many years, John? Over 10 now. Over 10 years. Uh, of, you know, every post, uh, a head, a brain rattler, and uh, talks a lot about this this topic. And uh, and, and go to kevinscopychief.com. Yes, yes, sir. Yep, copychief.com, and you'll get lots of, lots of cool content about marketing, how to write better, how to frame your story. And, of course, you could uh, decide to join either of our membership communities um, and, uh, and really immerse in, in Rub Ebbles with us. So thanks for listening. Again, the website, pi4mm.com. We always check the comments over there. 
please subscribe to us on iTunes so we can um, get uh, better ranking because there's lesser shows with better ranking because they're gaming the system. We don't, we <laughs> don't that dig pisses it. Me off. Why did you remind me of that? <laughs> I'm, I'm all pissed off again that these <laughs> inferior shows are, are doing better. Marketing. We have the most, you know what? I've never heard anybody talk about, as much about binging on shows as they do about ours. People tell me all the time, like, dude, I heard one show and I went back and I listened to like, every one of them for three. We are the breaking bad of the marketing. <laughs> we are. It's exactly what we are. <laughs> so uh, thanks for listening, everybody. John, always appreciate the time. It's always great fun. And uh, enjoy enjoy your Thanksgiving. You too. And uh, hope you have fun with the family. I'll see everybody later next show. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.